Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Seminary. This podcast is a variety of audio resources from around Southeastern. To learn more about Southeastern, visit scbts.edu. I'm excited to be here today. I'm excited for the discipline of prayer. I'm excited for just being in the chapel service with you, and I'm just grateful for even this opportunity to come before you. Thank you, Dr. Dobbs, for even just lead us, leading us in prayer. One of the things that I recognize that I've never prayed for these people before in my life, you know, and I've, I've never did until today. And, um, and then I've also, there was a young lady that I met this morning in, at the student center and I, you know, named Nyab, and I actually um, heard and heard some of her and just, you know, and I never, I realized that I haven't prayed for Pakistan in a really, really, really long time. You know, and I just realized a couple of things in that is that one, I just, I'm thanking God for the discipline of prayer and also the discipline of relationships. But here's the, here's the thing that I, I recognize about like, why haven't I prayed for these people? Why haven't I prayed for these countries? Why haven't I prayed in these last days? And one of the things that I recognize that a problem is not a real problem until it's your problem. A problem is not a real problem until it's your problem. And primarily, something becomes your problem for one or two reasons. One is through relationships, and the other is proximity. And I recognize that the problem that we have with a lot of what we're doing in Christianity is that we have learned to be around people who look like me, talk like me, act like me. And so that disconnects us from any type of relationships that is connected. So I don't have any real problems outside of my community. And then the other thing that I recognize is that because, like, as soon as our neighborhood begins to change, we move to a place where we are, we're around people that look like me, talk like me, and act like me. And then, therefore, I just find myself kind of like sending grenades or sending bombs over into the other places or other people's when I hear about certain things, but I, they, they never really become a real problem for me because a problem is not a problem unless it's my problem. And something doesn't become my problem or your problem unless there is relationships or there's proximity. My question for you today is, do you realize that we are in war? Like, do you, do you really get that? Do you understand that we are in war? I'm not talking about like fake war. I'm not talking about like just, oop, almost tripped. I'm not talking about like fake, well, I'm talking about like we're, we're really engaged in battle. We're engaged in war. And this is causing many of us to struggle, many of us to fight. I don't know about you, but I know that I have so many friends right now that are deconstructing, that are decolonizing, that are doing all the deed. The problem is, is that they're not reconstructing or they're not recolonizing around the Word of God, and that most of the people that are deconstructing and decolonizing are ending up finding themselves separate, isolated, gone. Because, and, and a lot of that has come because of the hurt that they have experienced within. And it's become a problem of the hurt that we've, ex- understanding that simple truth that a problem is not a real problem unless it's your problem. And we don't really understand how to do what Galatians chapter 6 tells us to carry one another's burdens because it's not our real problem, because we're not in real relationship. There's a statement that we talk about at our church. We said that, The church is not like family, it is family. 
It is family. It's not like family. You see, too many of us treat the church, it's like, uh, you know, the church is like, yeah, we're family, but it's like we're like play cousins. Right? It's not like real. It's just like, but so, it, so it's like when we hear about certain things and we, we, we wrestle for a minute, but then we, we kind of move it on because we got our own problems. I was the type of person, like the reason, part of the reason why I never paid for Pakistan or I don't pray for a lot of foreign countries, because I'm the type of person that's like, there's so many problems in my own neighborhood. I live in the largest Section 8 housing in all of Atlanta, Georgia. And I was just like, I have enough problems here. I don't need to go because, listen, that problem is my problem because, of real, there was more than five murders in my neighborhood this summer. And I was just like, I have real problems here, and those are my problems because it's a real problem, one, because it's my neighborhood, and two, I have to worry about my sons, my daughters. I don't want them to be. And see, and here's the thing. We don't know if we have a true gospel with power until we see it solving real problems that we have in our life. And so this disconnect is, is that, so for many of us, we play this game called Christianity because we don't think that we're really in war. It's like we take a bow and arrow, we shoot the bow and arrow, and wherever the bow and arrow hit, we kind of circle. Mm, God was in that. Yep, that's exactly. But we don't really know. We're really questioning because we're not asking God to solve real problems, real things, real issues that are in our lives. Do you know that God understands that we struggle? Do you even recognize that God named his people struggle? See, if you look at in um, Genesis Chapter 32, when Jacob was wrestling with God, and then, you know, and he was wrestling all day, and then he hits him on the and he says, he will never let him go. And then he says, you're no longer Jacob, you're now Israel, which means to struggle with God and prevail. And so God named his people struggle. Why? Because I think he knows that we are in war. This motif goes all throughout the scriptures over and over again that we see the very essence of um, Jesus picking up the same thing. He says, hey, Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against them. You see, what, what Jesus was explaining to them, he says, hey, we are in war. There's conflict. There's battle that's taking place. And he says, when he talks about the church, upon this rock, I will gather a people. That's the word ecclesia. I'm gathering a people. The question is, Jesus, why are you gathering us? I'm gathering a group of people to attack the gates of hell. You see, the problem that many of us have is that we spend most of our time trying to keep hell out of the church than being a mobilized army that's attacking the gates of hell. Because many of us, we don't realize that we are in war. And then whenever casualties comes or whenever people get injured or have to sit on the side, we're, we're, we're shocked, we're dismayed. You see, because here's the thing, that when we're in war, you recognize there's going to be casualties. There's going to be problems. There's going to be change, the challenges that we have. And this is why he says that struggle, but he calls us to struggle with God and to struggle well, because here's two truths. Here's two realities that we have to recognize and we face. One is universal. Everybody accepts it and knows. The first one is this. Life is tragic. 
Life is tragic. Whether you're a believer, unbeliever, Christian, whatever it is, you recognize that life is tragic. All you have to do is live long enough to recognize that we're not in control and it's tragic, right? All you have to do is recognize the fact that like, oh man, are we about to go through another wave of COVID? Or what's going on? Like we recognize that we're not in control, so we just recognize life is tragic. The other reality is equally as true. But as believers, we come and says, but God is faithful. And here's the dynamic, here's the tension that people like Niab and people like the Dharma, like people that we struggle with is like, how in the world do we wrestle, how do we struggle with this concept of life being tragic and then but God being faithful? Every time I sing worship songs, that's like I'm in spiritual warfare because I'm like battling with, with God and I'm wrestling with my own heart because I was like, God, I believe all of these truths, but there's so much death and so much trauma and so much pain that I'm seeing, that I'm facing on a consistent basis. And it's, and it's in this that we recognize that, the, that God has given us the tools. He has given us the Word of God to be able to recognize that we're in war because if we don't first recognize that we're in war, what we will continue to do is continue to live in shock when there's challenges, when there's problems, because we're not gearing up for warfare. It's sort of like we got to play family. We kind of like in a play war. But see, here's the problem. This war is killing us consistently. When I say us, I'm talking about believers. It's taking us off the mission field. It's taking us out of the church. It's taking us out of this friendships and fellowship. It's taking—we're losing friends and family, mentors, people that we thought were just like giants in the faith. We're losing them consistently while we still continue to play, play war. And so my challenge and my charge to you today is that like as Southeastern students, recognize, embrace the disciplines of the things that we're hearing, praying, understanding that even if something doesn't feel real to you in the time, that discipline yourselves to, to understand that this is war. Spiritual disciplines are not a sign of strength. Spiritual disciplines, it's really an admission of weakness. The reason why we discipline, the reason why we do the things that we do, the reason why we come to chapel, the reason why we pray, give God the first fruits, because we recognize that if we don't, we will all are like sheep. We will find ourselves somewhere we don't want to be. Somewhere we don't want to be and somewhere we didn't think that we would be. You see, this was the call that Paul was telling the church. In the church in Ephesus is where we're at. So if you have your Bibles, open up with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul goes into a passage that just goes directly into, he says, listen, I've been talking to you a lot about throughout this book. I've been going through all of what's going on, and I've been wrestling with this, the truths of God. And, but I just want you to recognize, if you haven't heard it already, I want you to be very, very clear, like put on the armor of God, because we are in war. We're in war. And we need to understand that. And so Dr. Constable, one of the professors at Dallas Theological Seminary, basically made this statement. He basically believes that Ephesians 
is an exposition of the statement that Jesus is making where he says, upon this rock, I will build my church in the gates of hell. And he says that Paul takes that theme and basically unpacks what does it look like for God through Christ to build his church and to mobilize an army to attack the gates of hell. A group of people that is both on the offensive and the defensive as we are, as we are going into the everyday life, everyday tragedy, and also victories that we experience. And so let me just read it real quick, and I'm just going to read the first three verses, and we'll look at it, um, this, this concept. In verse 10, it says, finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of, the, of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist the evil day and having prepared everything, take your stand. If you were just to look at it real briefly, what you see in there, there was a few times that it talks about this idea of taking on or standing firm, right? And in here, what, we are, what we're going to ultimately see is there's three reasons why God is calling us to, to stand firm in, in these passages, verses 10 through 20. He tells us, to, one, to stand firm with his strength. The second reason, he tells us to stand firm against the schemes of Satan. And then the last is to stand firm with his armor, to stand firm with his armor. The first one is standing firm with his strength. You see, in verse 10, it starts off with a word that oftentimes, if you haven't like been reading and you'll, you'll miss it, but it starts off in verse 10 and it says, finally. And right here, what Paul is doing is like, I have one more exhortation that I'm giving you, but I'm also making a shift back to, to, to something that I've been stating earlier in this epistle. He says, finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. You see, right here, if you, if you recognize and you would understand that he shifts from this, this concept of what the, the saints were to call to do, and then he says right now in the passive, he says, I want you to be strengthened. You understand kind of passive versus active, right? The, the whole idea, and just like layman's term, is like an active verb versus a passive verb. It's more of like, I hit the ball. That's an active, right? Or I was hit by the ball, right? It's more of a passive um, verb. And so what's going on right here is Paul is bringing out, he says, I want you to be strengthened by the Lord. I want you to be strengthened by the Lord. And this is really important because this is a reminder and this is a call for the church in Ephesus to go back to the first three chapters of what they've been talking about. Right? We all recognize that if you look at the book of Ephesians, basically we recognize that the first half is what God has done through us that are in Christ. That the book starts off with, with this concept of saying to the saints that are in Christ. And so the first half of this book is, is literally about just the idea of all of the spiritual wealth that, he, that God has for us that are in Christ. He wants us to know this so bad, he, like, he goes on and he gives us 
two run-on sentences in the very beginning of in, in Ephesians chapter 1. He's just like going in and says, I just want you to know that God the Father, he chooses us and he adopts us. God the Son, he redeems us and he unites us. God the Spirit seals us and he guarantees us. And he says like, hey, you guys don't get it because you're not excited about what I'm telling you. He says, so then he just kind of burst out in a spontaneous prayer. He says, I just pray that they would just understand and that they would know that they would get this. And then he, after that, he says, listen, do you recognize that you were dead in your trespasses, that, you, that God has made you alive through Christ and that but it's by grace that we've been saved, that it's a gift of God, not a work, so that no man could boast. And he says that you understand that those who were far are now near. Those that were near now get it. He says, I've torn down this dividing wall, this dividing wall between me, you, and God, and us and one another. Like, I've torn it down. That he says, this is my workmanship. This is my poema, my masterpiece. This is the very thing that I'm supposed to be bragging about. Like, do you get that? And he says, listen, I understand that you don't get it. If you look back at the Old Testament, you might miss it because this is a mystery that has been revealed to us through the apostles, through the, through the people. This is a mystery. But he says, now I'm coming to you that you may understand. He's like, oh, you're still looking at me like you're looking at me now. He says, let me just pray again. And so in, um, in Ephesians chapter 3, he prays again. I just pray, God, that they would get this. They would understand the love of God. Do you recognize that throughout the first three chapters, there are only three imperatives in throughout the whole first three chapters of Ephesians? Three imperatives. The first one is that they would know in Paul's prayer, that they would know that word oida, that they would understand that they would have this knowledge of the strength of God, of how powerful we are. He is, and that he's lavished all of that on us. So he calls us to know. The second one is in Ephesians chapter 2 and 11. He says, this is the, when he, when he talks about the idea of remember. Remember, right? And he's just like, I want you to constantly call up this knowledge. Constantly remember every time things start getting struggle, every time things get hard. Remember, God, remember from where you came from. Remember your former life. And then the last one is in the 311 where he says, don't be discouraged. Do you understand that Paul recognizes that we are in war and he wants us to be strengthened by his power? So he tells us in these first three chapters, he lavishes all these things about what it is to be a saint in Christ. And then he says, our only responsibility is that we would know and that we would remember and we won't be discouraged. That's our responsibility. That's our responsibility, that because God is like, he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. But you got to understand, you got to remember, and you, got, you, you can't lose heart. You can't lose heart in this. Because, and he recognizes, right, don't be discouraged. That word, that, that idea of the not losing courage, is, it's really a play because it's ekakeo, which basically means, he's, he's ultimately saying, don't be utterly spiritless. Don't be wearied out. You see, what I recognize is that so many of the people that are deconstructing and decolonizing and that are going through all of this stuff, and it's not reconstructing and recolonizing, it's because they're just spiritless. They're, they're, they're tired. And when all the stuff came out over these last four years and five years, and it was just like, and they're looking, it was just like, hey, where's the church? What's the answer? What, what's going on? 
There was a survey that was taken by a company called Glue, and this company basically did a survey about Google searches and all the things. And do you understand that um, in the top five, some of the most Googled words were things like, things like we would know, anxiety, depression, tests, like, um, you know, like, what do I do if I'm anxious or all of that. So that's, that's understanding. But you know what was saying one of the top five phrases? It was, what does God say about my anxiety, my depression, my... You see, here's the thing. The, Bible, the, the people know that the harvest truly is plentiful, but it really is the laborers are few. See, the problem is, is that too many of us have, have reduced our Christianity to conferences, concerts, church services. We have created a Christianity that sits really well where you can get one professional who does the work, and then we have a bunch of un, not professionals who sit and listen, and then what we do, like we learn, and then we go and we reproduce the same thing. Hey, I got the knowledge. I'll continue to do the work. You sit and you listen, right? And we continue to perpetuate this thing, and it has made us impotent in the real world. Because we only know about like, how to kind of deal with our faith in this scenario. So even on our jobs, what do we do? Let's just go start a Bible study. I'm not against starting Bible studies. But that's all, that's all we know is to reproduce what we know, what we've seen. But what does it look like for us to, be some, to bring some real-time training? A training that is calling us that says, hey, we're going to war. There's a boot camp that we have. The, 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 the very essence that we see when Paul is talking about talking to Timothy and pastoring the church of Ephesus, he says, hey, and the things you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, the same. Commit to faithful men so that they'd be able to teach others also. He says, but don't get entangled with the affairs of this life because you see, like, no one who's like, a soldier in Christ, you only, like, you don't get entangled with the affairs of this life. You are only seeking to please the one who has enlisted you as a soldier. And he says, like, and understand, like, you got to suffer. You got to understand. You got to be single-minded like a soldier because there's so many things that will take you off. It will get you distracted. And because here's the, the truth. Too many of us define God's will by the path of least resistance. God is always calling us to easier and better. He's never calling us to harder than worse, or harder or worse, because we have a cruise ship mentality, right? We have a cruise ship mentality. And the cruise ship mentality says, and I love cruises. It's one of my favorite vacations, way to vacation. But when I go on a cruise, I'm expecting certain things. I want my pizza when I want it. I get mad when the lines is longer than three people. Like, I want it when I want it. I want to be able to eat. I don't like to clean my room. I like, and it's like one of the best vacations. There's certain things that I expect when I'm on cruises. You see, but there's another, so there's different, a similar ship, but it has a completely different purpose, a battleship. They're both big crews, big, big ships. But one has a specific purpose, and the other has a completely different purpose, right? God is calling his church and he's saying, listen, I'm gathering a people to be on the battleship, not a cruise ship. We are in war. Paul says we are in war. And if we're going to be in war, we need to be strengthened. 
We need to put on the clothes and understanding that we are clothed by his righteousness. You see, and here's the thing. When you talk about knowing, remember, and then also not being discouraged, what I love about this passage, he says, be strengthened, or um, after he says, be clothed, or put on the armor of God. What is he saying right there? Basically what he is saying, he says, your seminary education is not enough. Your Bible study, you're just like, it's not enough. Enough. You also have to be clothed. Let me get heretical for a second. Don't judge me. But let's just imagine, let's just imagine. All right, let's imagine LeBron James. I'm not a big LeBron James fan, but he's a Laker. I'm a big LA fan, so I give him a pass. So let's just imagine right now. LeBron James is a basketball player for the Los Angeles Lakers, arguably one of the greatest of all times. You know, you take that wherever you want to take that. All right. So last year he just celebrated being the number one scorer in all of history, right? And so let's just imagine LeBron James came down and he says, hey, Southeastern, I just want you guys to know I'm going to teach you everything I know about the game of basketball. I'm going to give you all my secrets, all of my details, all of just everything that I can give you, and I'm going to give it to you right now. Here it is. Boom, boom, boom. He writes it out and he says, all right. And then you, you go, how many of you can just take that information and then go and win the scoring title in the NBA? Anybody? But, but I mean, he's giving you the secrets. He can spend as much time with you. He can answer any questions that you want to answer. Like, no problem. I'll answer. I am here. I'm there for you. Anybody can go win? No, why? Because we recognize that knowledge is not enough. Information is not enough. So here's my heretical point. So what hypothetically needs to happen is that LeBron James has to die. (laughs) Right? And then he would then need to send his spirit to you. And then after that, then it's not just you that's doing it. It's the spirit of LeBron James working through you and working through the knowledge that you have in order to accomplish or potentially accomplish what he was able to accomplish. You see what I'm saying? And so it's the same thing is that we recognize that knowledge is not enough, but Christ died and he, even him dying, he had to send his spirit to us so that it's not just a, you know, being able to understand, but we also need to put on, we need to be clothed with the spirit of God. You see, there's not enough of us that are talking about that when we're in war that we recognize when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, it's not, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the disciplines of the flesh. I don't discipline myself. I got to love more. I got to love more. I got to be more peaceful. Right? That's, that's like something else. That's not Christian. It is the fruit of the Spirit. We concentrate on an abiding relationship with God. And guess what comes out of abiding with him? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And so when he says, be strengthened, put on, be clothed, he's saying it's a twofold thing is that you got to understand it's all the stuff that I told you to, to understand the order and remembering and don't lose courage. But at the same time, you got to also be clothed. Why? Because Satan is scheming. 
He talks about the schemes. And you see, you got to understand the schemes of Satan. That word schemes is basically the Greek word methodia, which basically comes from, it's a, it's a conjugated word, which means meta and, and do mudos. But basically the, the concept is methodia is that it's with a way. Satan has a way of setting things up that many of us, uh, most of us will never have a face-to-face experience with Satan because he is limited to time and space. But what he has done is that he has set up things. He has set up a system, right, that causes things to take place and that now it, it, it creates, he understands, he studies, he, he recognizes kind of human and like depravity and all of these things. And so he wrestles with that. And so he, he tells us in here that we need to understand that Satan has a way, that he has a methodia in terms of how he gets us to do that. You see, this way, it's, it's indirect oftentimes. He sets up systems. It's deliberate. It's, he's methodical with it. He's deceptive. He's deceptive in how he goes about doing it. He, he's like, he's like, it's like the Garden of Eden where he, when he starts, he begins to question God. He begins to say, like, hey, did God really say? You you know, I mean, and he begins to kind of manipulate and change, and he's like, he just sets things up. You see, and what ends up happening is that Satan recognizes, he says, listen, if I can first get them to stop believing in the church, I can get them separated. If I can get them, man, because the church hurt and all that, I can get them separated. But now, if I can now get them stop kind of causing doubt in their faith, ah, I got them. I got them. Did God really say? Did he really? You know, this is the very thing that he used on Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, what did he do? He, he questioned. He came at the three things that he comes at us with. He comes at one, the provision. Oh, man, why did God lead you all the way out here to starve? Is he not like, man, you got to take care of yourself. If God ain't going to look out for you, I mean, I'm, you know, somebody needs to look out for you, right? Turn these stones into bread. He questions God's protection. If you threw yourself off the hill and you got hurt, would God really be there for you? Is he, is he really going to be there? He wasn't there for you in the last thing. Remember? You remember the last thing? He wasn't there. If you did this now, would he be there? He gets you to start protect. Like, is he really protecting? And then even his promises. Hey, Jesus, you came down here. You're supposed to rule over things. And you know, like, if you, like, why does God have to take you through all of this stuff? I can give it to you right now. So it's just like, why does God put us through this? If God is all-powerful and all these things, why does he put us through trauma? Why does he allow trauma to take place? Especially if we don't realize that we're in war. Satan just sets it up and he says, first, if I can just get you to, to, to leave the church, leave the mess, because, you know, people are messy. If I can get you to leave there, and then if I can get you to start poking holes in your faith in God, now I got you. And this is the reason why so many of us, so many of our friends, that even in the midst of Christian community, in the midst of things, because we're not, we don't have a warfare mentality, we just find ourselves. We find ourselves just falling back, losing our faith, losing so many things, and we, we've seen it happening 
And a lot of it is just the, the hurt. It's, it's Satan's schemes, his methodia. So he says that we need to stand firm. We need to stand firm. And what I love also about this passage is that he basically says, listen, stop struggling among yourselves because that's the greatest plan that Satan has been able to do. He's, just been, he's been able to say like, hey, your problem is not against flesh and blood. Satan has somehow turned all of our aims at one another. It's white evangelical. It's black Christianity. It's this, that. It's like, it's all. It's the this side or that side. And if you look at Twitter, what, like, the Bible says the world will know you're my disciples because of your love for one another. How well are we doing? The book of Ephesians says he has torn down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile, slave and free. Like, how are we doing? That in context, what he's talking about is the dividing wall between us. See, here's the thing. We cannot give what we do not have. We have no solution to a world that is divided. All we have is a, a Jeopardy answer, Jesus, the person work of Jesus. That's what everybody says, gospel this, gospel that, gospel, gospel, gospel. Praise the Lord. But the, here's the issue. How does your gospel, like, how does the incarnation of the gospel, the word became flesh and it tabernacled among us? You see, here's the thing, the, 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 the tension that many of us have is that the enemy, because of his methodia, has able to take our eyes and begin to say the problem is not the fact that we are in war, but the problem is the other people, the other perspective, and all we're doing is fighting one another. He says, hey, listen, your problem is not against flesh and blood. Paul in 2 Corinthians says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for casting down arguments and, and imagination, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And he says, that, he says, this is it. And he says, what I love about it is that he says, see, God has an antihistamine for Satan's schemes. And that's the word literally where it says resist. Resist. The Greek word is ant antihistamine. It's where we get that word, and it's the idea that, you know, it's sort of like, I don't know if you've been to Georgia. Dr. Akins talked about being in Georgia. If you ever come to Georgia and you live there, you will find a thing that, like, if you've never had it, you will find a thing called allergies. And allergies, because, like, the pollen is off the chain there, right? And so you will recognize, but, you know, and so you go to the store and you buy antihistamines to help slow down or to combat the system that has been set up, that it is kind of, it's in the air. God says, resist it. And then he says, let me just end with this. He says, and, and so, and as you resist, put on God's armor, put on the, bless, the breastplate, put, you know, put on the, 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 the truth, the, the feet that's sandaled, right? The sandal with readiness of the gospel of peace. He says, in every situation, put on your faith. Take on the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. No, that's the only offensive weapon that we have. And then he ends, it's sort of like, it's not like oftentimes mentioned, but one of the things that he says, he says, and hey, don't forget your, your walkie-talkie. And at the end, the walkie-talkie is pray. Three times he tells us to pray. 
pray all the time. Make sure you're always signaling into base. Make sure you're connected. Make sure you are recognized that you are his ambassador. And you've been sent for a purpose in war times. You see, what Paul is doing is that he's reminding us that this is war. And in war, there's going to be challenges and there's going to be problems. But he says, don't lose heart. Remember how God, where God brought you from. Be strengthened. You see, here's the thing, and I'll close in this. Here's the thing. Jesus makes one of the most amazing announcements in all time. He says, hey, upon this rock, I will build my church. I'm gathering a people, and we're going to attack the gates of hell. Everybody's just like, yeah, I knew it. I knew he was a son of God. You see, I'm told, like, he let it all out. He says, I knew it. Peter makes the statement. He says, right, Peter. And he says, oh, here's the game plan. I'm going back to Jerusalem, and I'm going to die. What? It was like the hour. Argh! What? Peter, being the only one who says what all of us are thinking, pulls Jesus aside. Hey, Jesus, can I talk to you for a minute? That's not a good plan. That's not a good plan. The whole dying thing. We were with you with the Son of God gathering people, attacking. We were all with you. But you dying, that wasn't, that's not. And what did Jesus respond? Get behind me, Satan. You're thinking like them. You think that the goal is self-preservation. That's not the goal. And he says, matter of fact, in war, if you really want to be a soldier, if anybody wants to follow me, you must also be willing to die, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. That's the type of soldiers that God is looking for in this war. And my prayer for this as a sending agency for laborers for Christ, that Southeastern, that you would be an answer to the prayer of Matthew 9, 37, when Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out more laborers into the harvest. Father, we're thankful for this opportunity, Lord, just to be reminded of this truth that we understand but oftentimes forget. I pray, Father, that you would help us, Lord, to realize that we are in war and you would help us to live accordingly. Lord, not by our strength, but by God's strength. Allow us to put our confidence and our faith in the person and work of Jesus through the power and the presence of his Holy Spirit that he sends us, that clothes us. Uh, give us the ability to put on the armor of God so that, Father, we can do the things that we want to do in you. Father, help us to realize and understand that we are saints set apart in Christ. Give us the ability to make war, to struggle well. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, and that's all these things. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Consider giving to Southeastern Seminary online or visiting us for a preview day. For information on how to give or sign up for a preview day, visit scbts.edu.